my dad went to Alaska and he walked onto a fishing boat and ended up making some money, you know, and then when the season was over, found something else. And then the next summer found another commercial fishing boat and just kind of stumbled into it. So, yeah, no one is going to believe in you if you don't like you have to believe in you. And if you have to fake it until you feel it, we did that. We've done that plenty of times taking the gig for the stilt walking thing when you don't even own a pair of stilts. This is the Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. I'm here with Kelsey and Jeremy Philo, and they're friends of Kelly Moggs, another editor of The Seasonals. This is another episode that's really exciting for me because I've never met them. And I told Kelly, don't tell me what to do. I want to hear from them. So uh, how are you two doing today? We're doing great. Thanks, Joey. Yeah, doing awesome. Good. And yeah, so my first question is, I well, I've seen uh, some of the pictures of all the cool stuff you do, but what all do you do? Where do you do it? And all, all that stuff. So we're traveling circus performers. We aren't like with a big circus, but we have our own company and we provide entertainment for all kinds of events like festivals and corporate events and anything really you can think of that would have live entertainment. And we do we specialize in really creative stilt walking costumes we do fire dancing and we also specialize in glow circus shows like with high-tech led hula hoops and juggling and we also travel around performing and teaching inspirational programs for kids just that little bit of things (laughs) very cool and that's all over the country Um, so we're located in Oklahoma and we travel to the five states around us primarily, but we can pretty much work wherever we want to be. So we have toured in Alaska and all the way out to Michigan and New Orleans. So our plan is to go back to Alaska. We were like everyone else. We want to spend our summers in Alaska. So uh, we just got a van and we're planning our summer 2020 tour to be at least half of the summer in Alaska. So we're super excited about that. So do you call these, like, are they gigs or are they seminars or events? We call them gigs, but they vary between like a corporate party or we do educational programming. So we work with schools and libraries and those are also gigs. They're just kind of different. They're not quite so much about entertainment and more about teaching and inspiring and empowering kids. A lot of times our kids shows, we actually call them programs because there's a part where the kids get to participate and there's an inspirational message. So it's not just them watching us. They're involved in it. Give me an example of like a a corporate event, like how they would get a hold of you and then the sort of process and then the actual event. And then an example of the program, like a kid's program and who contacts you and then preparing for it, doing it and all that. Okay. 
Um, so they usually find us through our website or through a booking website called Gig Salad. For a corporate event, they would contact us and say, hey, we're having this corporate event. Like we're doing something with Capital One coming up next week. It's a circus theme. So they need us to do stilt walking during this sales seminar sort of hype event that they're doing. Then we'll also be doing a show. And so we just work out the details with them and quote them a price and they accept it or we negotiate. And then once we're set, I'll send them a contract and an invoice and our insurance. There's actually a lot of paperwork. That's the not so glamorous side, a lot of office work, but yeah, it's pretty normal for what do we call digital nomads, I guess. And uh, then we'll make sure our costumes are what we need or get what we need and we'll go perform the show and that's, they'll pay us and, and that's that. So that's a corporate event, the kids event. You know, we might meet someone out or someone might see us performing. There's a park that just opened here in Tulsa and it actually won USA Today's Best New Attraction for 2018 because it opened last year. And we've been, We performed there 30 times, actually, in the fall and winter, and it's called The Gathering Place. We perform there pretty often. And so if someone sees us out there and they're like, oh, I'd love to have you at my school, then someone from their school would contact us and we would go through the booking process with them too and make sure the price is something that they can do. We'll show up at the school. We usually do like an assembly style with a couple different grades, you know, like 100, 150 kids. And then we'll turn all the lights out and we'll do a glow circus show for them. And then when the lights come back on, that's when we talk about how we got started and we talk about coordination and we have a message. We teach them about grit and growth mindset. Then we'll teach them actually, we've been teaching juggling a lot. We also teach plate spinning. And if it's a really small group, then we'll use hula hoops. And so we're teaching them through circus skills about how you learn through your mistakes and how whenever you try to learn something new, it's you're not going to be really good at it right off the bat. And I would say that my personal, the biggest message that I want to share is that being coordinated is not a static property. Like you can become more coordinated and I'm actually living proof of that, which is why it's my life mission to share this with as many people as possible. And by coordinated, you mean like physically coordinated, right? Yes. Physically coordinated, like juggling or hula hooping or whatever you want to do with your body. And so at one of these corporate events or the, the kids thing, I'm sure at the kids programs, you have no problem keeping their attention, which is usually a problem that their teachers have. (laughs) I mean, little kids, they're just like, oh my goodness, lights. Everything is awesome. This is so cool. They're excited. Yeah. And we get to perform in rural areas where kids would not get to see this. This is not a normal thing that they get to see in their little town in Arkansas or Oklahoma. Yeah. I can imagine it's, it's something that Normally, they would never be exposed to. Yeah, which is kind of the cool part about it. Yeah, and also encouraging them to try something that they haven't ever seen. So they all get to participate. So they get to try juggling or plate spinning. And we were at a small school, really small town, and every every grade was in one school. And they were really excited that we came because they wanted 
the kids to have experience trying something new, that there's other possibilities out there that they could do more than what's just available in the town. They could move away from that small town. And so it was like encouraging to grow and not be stuck just sticking around that area. And so at the, at the corporate events, if, if I'm a guy coming to one of these events, what do I see? Because I'm, I'm sure it's probably less interactive or there's a different tone to it. What am I seeing as a corporate whatever watching you guys? Well, adults are definitely less likely to enjoy learning how to juggle on the spot in a group. So we don't usually make them do that. It's usually like a cocktail party or a Christmas party. We do like sales. It's like a hype meeting for sales. Like a sales rally? A sales rally. Yeah. So for a sales rally, it could be during their conference. And so it's nine o'clock in the morning and we're going to show up and surprise them with this crazy show. And either we'll perform, we've performed our show for them. We've just shown up out of the back of the room on stilts with a bunch of glowing props. And, you know, they turned the lights down and the music up and it just became a party. But if it's like a cocktail party, we're less the spotlight of the event and we're just bringing the event to life. So if they have a theme, we do lots of themes other than just circus, but if they have a theme, then we'll dress in a theme. Like we're about to do a galaxy space theme. So we have these incredible light up space costumes and we'll just go and we really like to bring people out of their shells. You know, you get to your corporate Christmas party and you're like really shy and takes people a couple of drinks to get warmed up. So we're there shaking hands and giving high fives and getting people out of their shells a little bit. And then we may do a show like a circus show later on to get people out on the dance floor, but we're really more providing like ambient entertainment. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Cool. <laughs> yeah, they're getting jacked about making these sales. They're you guys are hanging on stilts <laughs> and juggling and get them on the dance floor. Yeah. So that's that's where you are now. It sounds awesome. You have kind of your system figured out, and I'm sure you have tons of really cool stuff just hanging out everywhere. How how did it all start? Like where where did it begin? And you know, where's the start of this journey? Let's see. Mine started probably when I was 19 and I was in college here in Oklahoma. I went to OU. I was in an accident that nearly killed me and actually paralyzed me, completely paralyzed my left leg. And they told me they weren't sure if I was ever going to walk again. And this really came out of nowhere. I was hospitalized for a long time and had five surgeries and didn't know what was going to happen with the rest of my life. And recovering from that, I fell into depression and I have PTSD from the accident experience and just was feeling really, you know, lost and going through the motions of college. And a couple years later, some girlfriends of mine who lived down in Austin invited me to come visit. So I went down to visit and they took me over to this girl's house and her name is Henna Kim and she's a hula hooper and a hula hoop teacher and a hula hoop maker. And so we walk into her house and she says, oh my gosh, you can't come in here until you hula hoop. And I was like, girl, I don't hula hoop. You know, like I've never, ever been able to hula hoop in my life. I'm so uncoordinated. Team sports were a nightmare for me in school. Like I have not touched a basketball since, you know, 
ninth grade and she forced me to hula hoop and I actually could do it. She gave me a really big hula hoop, which tip for anyone who's listening, bigger hula hoops are easier. So find someone who makes them that are nice and big and try it out if you haven't been able to, but want to learn to hula hoop. And so I learned how to do it and I fell in love and it's like it brought the color back into my world. Going through a physical trauma, you kind of learn to disconnect your brain and your body from the pain that you're experiencing. And it's like a safety mechanism, survival mechanism. Hula hooping helped to bring me back into my body. And I really experienced like meditation for the first time, a meditative state, you know, just like hula hooping in my backyard. And I remember feeling, you know, just good and centered for the first time probably ever. And I just fell in love with it. And so I started making my own hula hoops and teaching people to hula hoop. All my friends loved it and they wanted to learn. My depression got better. My anxiety got better. I lost some of the weight that I had gained in the hospital and I just loved it. And I, but I was a solo hula hooper. I didn't know anyone else who did these weird circusy things as an adult. I I was 23 at this point. And someone was like, you got to go to the park on Monday nights. There's this group that meets there and they juggle and unicycle and stuff. And so I summoned up all of my introverted courage and my hula hoops. And I went to the park and there was Jeremy unicycling backwards down some railing and a bunch of people, a bunch of guys like juggling and unicycling. And that was pretty much the beginning of us and the beginning of this career. So you want to tell your, your part, Jeremy? Yeah. So I, I started out, well, I'm from Alaska. So when I was in the first grade, I started commercial fishing with my dad. Every summer I'd go commercial fishing for salmon. Being from Alaska, I feel that you get to experience grit and working through hard situations. And so when everyone was kind of playing and having fun during the summertime, I was figuring out what different fish were, organizing them and getting them out of the net. This allowed me to basically not help me not be afraid to try things that were out of my comfort zone. Uh, In high school, I was very athletic and played soccer. I ran cross country. And my friend and I found a unicycle in his garage. We decided that we were going to try to learn it. I was pretty fit and I felt like I had pretty good balance, but this thing was just absolutely impossible. But we were doing it together. So we were laughing and it was like, it was just ridiculous. But we both kept trying over and over. Eventually, after a couple of weeks, we could go like a few feet. (laughs) I was like, oh my goodness, I can actually do this. This is crazy. Um, to go around the block it took even even longer. That's kind of where I first learned a circus art and it was just kind of goofing around. But then it became like a hobby. I started doing it a bunch. My dad, you know, would joke that I was going to join the circus and like, haha, yeah, whatever, dad. Just doing something fun. Anyway, so uh, I kind of, I stopped for a while. I, after high school, I joined the Marines, you know, went to Iraq. Then after after four years, you know, I was like, you know, this was great experience and I had I had a good time and a lot of rough times, but I was ready to try something else. So I got out of the Marine Corps. Uh, whenever I came back to Oklahoma, my friends were still here. So, you know, it was like, oh, let's pull out this unicycle again. Um, I ended up working an IT job, but I every night I was trying to find someone 
to unicycle with. And I was teaching people to unicycle and just trying to get people to unicycle with me so I could do it every single day and ended up getting really good at it, which led me to connect with other people. And people started sharing like how to juggle, how to do contact juggling, you know, how to do staff. And so there's all these different circus arts that grew from this. And then all these like great connections and interesting people. Eventually I went to a festival where they talked about the flow state where after you've gotten really good at something like juggling or unicycling, you can do a lot of the tricks without really thinking and you get lost in the moment and everything else goes away. All all your other problems and everything else kind of fade. And it's just like, you're right there with the prop that you're using. I just, I love this philosophy and I saw it. And so I kind of craved it and I kept going after it. And then I ended up creating this group called Flow and Days. And we first started out with like juggling and unicycling mainly. Eventually Kelsey comes and she shows up with like 20 hula hoops and it's kind of been a guy's club at this point. So she shows up and it it was exciting. I'm like, yes, finally we have women here. And so that was kind of leads in from where she left off, where we ended up meeting there and we connected pretty quickly after that. Yeah. So this Flow and Days group, um, we called it Flow and Monday because Monday is a really good day to get off of work and come play outside. And so it was a free community group where we just wanted it was a skill share. You can just come and we teach you anything or just come play. You know, we have music and blankets and food sometimes. And we ran this group together for six years in Norman, Oklahoma, like every single week. So that was a really, a really amazing way for us to get started. And we met a ton of people this way. All of our, all of our friends we met there years ago. And it was a really neat way for the community to meet the flow arts and circus community that we had. And it was, it was really awesome. Yeah. At first it was just a a couple of us and I had to, I kept, you know, I'd message my friends and be like, come out here, let's struggle. Let's unicycle, invite people. I'll teach you how to unicycle. Eventually after being in the park for two or three years, people would come up to us and ask us what's going on, you know, and you teach them something. It just started to pick up and grow. We did this for I think seven years, by the end of it, we had like a huge community built around it. You know, all kinds of people, like Kelsey said, a lot of our friends uh, we met through there, you know, we'd have like 20 people coming once a week to this non-alcoholic play in the park time. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, adults don't play enough. We're too exactly. serious. Yeah. Yeah. And so from there, Jeremy encouraged me to teach hula hoop classes. After learning to hula hoop, I had a passion for showing women that fitness doesn't have to be drudgery. You know, we don't have to be on a treadmill. It doesn't have to be about hating your body. It can be about the joy of using your body and the joy of learning new things and strengthening that mind-body connection. So I started teaching hula hoop classes and started a little hula hoop business and was making and selling hula hoops for people and going to festivals and hula hooping. I don't know. We were just, we just brought all the fun toys we could everywhere we went and had a lot of fun. And from there, Jeremy invited me to perform, I guess it was our flow group. Our flow group got invited to perform at a local festival called Groove Fest in Norman. It was actually at the same park where we met, uh, but it was, was it that same year? Maybe six months later. 
and we performed at the park and I fell in love with performing, like the costuming, the adrenaline and getting to go up there and just shine my light, even though I was so nervous and terrified that people responded really well to it. And so I could get over the fact that I was shy and nervous and sacrifice that part in order to go out there and hula hoop my butt off in front of everyone. It was a ton of fun. And that was in 2012. So then we started getting paid to perform. And I mean, you have to, we performed for free for a while. And then we started asking for money and getting paid and it just grew from there. I think I saw on St. Patrick's Day, my first paid performance was five years ago today. So five years from just a hobby to fully functioning business, supporting two adults to do whatever we want is it's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. When you first met, I'm just trying to nail down the timeline from when you first met and you were doing the the thing the stuff in the park from then how long was it until your first paid event okay we met in april of 2012 and my first paid event was in 2014 cuz that's 5 years ago yeah so 2 years gotcha and w- what were you doing for a job before that you were making hula hoops and doing the classes Yes. Um, I was a student. Well, I, I was a student first and then I got a job. I started to go to grad school actually to become a physical therapist. I was about to apply and I had just fallen in love with this hula hoop thing. And I actually decided I'm going to wait because grad school is super expensive. So you don't just go and spend, you know, $50,000 or more. Um, so I decided not to go to grad school and to stick with this and get a job and see where the hula hooping thing went. My parents were totally thrilled to hear that. Obviously my mom's a doctor, (laughs) but she's fully in support now, everybody, just so you know. And so I got a job at the university. I actually worked, I was an office manager at the honors college at Oak at OU. So I had a nine to five job there. Uh, it was a great job. I I liked it a lot, but it was also great to quit my job for my hula hooping career, which people still, you know, I just love saying that I'm a professional hula hooper because people shake their head and blink thinking that they've misheard me. Right. And you're like, no, seriously, look at this awesome thing I do. If I can say it with a really straight face, it's the best. They're like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a professional hula hooper. Just no smile. <laughs> They're like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> that exists. And Jeremy, were you were you still in IT at this point? No, I I'd, I'd uh, quit IT and I decided I was going to go to school, use my GI Bill. So I had money from that, and then I also was bartending. It kind of allowed me to be able to play and grow and learn and get into this art form. And so you start doing these paid events and you become professional hula hooper. This is a question I had earlier. I think, I think it comes into play now. I'm sure that you have so much equipment and costumes and cool light up stuff. Is that where it goes from starting this paid gig and then going into the, the trailer and be so you can transport your stuff around? Kind of. So we started with the paid gig and then, yeah, so you need different costumes for all different gigs. So we have holiday costumes and 
spring costumes and summer costumes. And I would say this is really my favorite part. And my mom, the, the doctor actually sews our costumes for us. So if you see any of our pictures on our Instagram and you like what we're wearing, then if my mom probably made it. She's incredible. She makes our stilt pants and skirts and vests. Um, and so, yeah, we have tons and tons of equipment. We have fire performance gear. We have LED gear. We have daytime festival gear and then costumes. And then we have all the toys that we teach with. So we have 500 juggling balls. We have, I'm, I don't even want to look, but probably 150 hula hoops, levitation wands, flower sticks, uh, spinning plates. I mean, I'm sitting right now in our costume gear workshop room and uh, it's, it's packed in. So we have a lot of stuff, but what we use kind of depends on which part of our work we're doing at the time. So the seasonal part of our work is that during the summertime, that's when we do most of the kids' library programming. I'd like to talk about this part. Okay. I I started, I started performing in 2009. It was my first performance. Uh, there was a circus in Norman, Oklahoma, Prairie Folk Circus, and I got involved and got to do this Mardi Gras parade. And it was the first time to really perform in front of people. Anyway, so then I ended up meeting a lady who was teaching juggling to kids at libraries. And I've always enjoyed the teaching aspect. So I was really intrigued about this. And she was looking for someone to help her out sometimes because she was getting too many things. I feel that part of the seasonal job is to find these like obscure ways to make money, these little pockets of money. And it aligns with either a place you want to go or a thing that you want to be doing. And so there is money in libraries. You could go and perform. And she was teaching kids as well as doing a performance. So her name was Monica Buck and her company is called Juggle Whatever. She taught me how to do like a stage show with for kids and then also different techniques to help them learn juggling. And she went to a lot of juggling festivals. And so she had a lot of knowledge of how to teach properly. So that was kind of, for me, where it fir- like first started was trying to do, do that. And that was where a lot of the paid gigs were for me. And so I got Kelsey on board to also do the libraries. And after we did them for a couple of years, we were traveling all over, but we were driving back to our house every night. And so we would end up spending eight or 12 hours on the road, do a couple of libraries, go to the other side of the state, and then try to make it back and then do that again. I think that was kind of when we decided a trailer would be a really awesome thing for us to have. And so we figured out that we could stay in state parks around Oklahoma. So we started kind of going into that with the trailer. Yeah. So I I actually know there are people out there who think that Oklahoma just has teepees on it and that it's a big plain and there's nothing here, but there's actually a ton of variety in the geological beauty around here. We have some small mountains and mesas and red dirt, beautiful, I can't even, huge boulders, lots of different uh, oasis, little 
lots of different places around Oklahoma that are gorgeous. And it's vastly different from one corner of the state to the, to the next. And so we embarked on our little journey to have our summer tour and to plan it all around these state parks so that we could go and document how beautiful Oklahoma is. Because everyone likes to complain about Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, it's not Alaska. Okay, so if you've been in Alaska, you might not be impressed, (laughs) but Oklahoma really has a lot of natural beauty. We bought a little trailer um, before we got married, actually. And so we used that to tour around in. It was a ton of fun. We had a a lot of fun in our little trailer. What Jeremy was saying and kind of what I know so far, you two are a great example of you find something you like, something you're passionate about, either the unicycle or hula hooping, and somehow life pushes you into that. And then you go one step at a time. That takes me to this, and this takes me to that. And then the next thing you know, you're learning how to do circus shows for kids from someone. And then then you, your first paid gig happens, and then this, and then that. And it reminds me that a lot of people I talk to that are thinking about seasonal life or any anything outside the box they're like oh well i don't i don't know how i would make that work or i don't i don't know how i could turn this into something that you know makes me more money than i make at my job or an amount of money that i'm happy with and it's it's always like well you take that first step and then you once you're there then the second step you'll know which direction to go and then once you're there the third step and at some point you'll get as long as you make a good decision each step of the way you get to where you want to go or or somewhere that you didn't know you were going to go that you want to go and your story is a great example of that yeah, yeah that's exactly true and we also for me i didn't i we started doing these circus shows in libraries we started doing some other little shows Eventually, someone said, hey, could you come to our 4th of July party and do, you know, Uncle Sam on stilts? And I was like, I can't do stilts. But I said yes. And (laughs) then for like the next couple of weeks, I just like every day was going out there on stilts. And by the time 4th of July came along, I did really well. They enjoyed the performance, you know, got Kelsey's mom helped us do still pants. And it was like trying to figure out how to do still pants and Everything ended up coming together, but it was kind of that same situation where we didn't know how that would actually work out, but we tried it. And now a big part of what we do is still walking and we try to, we keep trying to create bigger costumes with the stilts. Yeah. And I, I want to say that I think that all of what we have accomplished, at least for me, starts with a feeling like a dream. It's like a dream feeling, like some amorphous blob that I can envision in the future. Like, this is what I want. I don't know what it looks like yet, but I know that this is the right direction. So what's the thing I can do right now to help me get there? And it has been absolutely incredible to stay aligned toward this feeling and this dream even though I don't have it all figured out yet and to just watch it unfold right as we go along. And then you get these moments like where we are today and we're like, how on earth did we get here? This is so crazy. But I remember, um, so I remember distinctly having a conversation with my mom and talking about how I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it. And I know it sounds crazy, but I feel like 
there's a community that people need to hear this message and people need to know whether it's women in hula hooping or kids in juggling or really just high quality entertainment. It's almost like I followed a feeling in my heart. It sounds really, really corny, but I'm 100% serious. And every time we don't really know if we should go left or right, we take a second and try to connect in and just make the choice that we feel is right. And here we are. So do either of you, either individually or as a group, do you have goal setting routines? Yes, I love goal setting routines. Um, I have a book called Your Best Year by Lisa Jacobs. And I just bought another one for this year because it was really helpful. It helps you break out of your mindset of what you think is possible for you and to really start to manifest what the direction that you want to go in, even if it's not immediately ahead of you. We have actually just started doing a daily goal setting routine as well. And it's by Brendan Burchard. He has a planner that really it's helped us so much because we are two people. So staying connected and communicating every day about what the most important thing is that we need to do that day in order to get closer to this goal has been really, really helpful. Like we have a monumental number of tasks that we have to do to keep this business running. So it definitely helps for us to number one, communicate with each other often daily or more about what exactly our priorities are for today. And to also just stay, um, to stay aligned with where we're headed. So with all these goals and the monumental tasks, do you have a quote that you come back to like every day to keep, keep yourself focused or to keep thinking about them in a, like a positive way? To begin, begin. It's very easy for me to get overwhelmed. I, I still suffer from anxiety and it's easy to get overwhelmed and stressed out and feel like there's no way we can get it all done. It's just like that first thing you know, what's the one thing that you can do right now that's going to make everything else easier? Oh, what about that Georgia O'Keeffe quote? Oh, okay. Here's the big life one. Uh, Georgia O'Keeffe said, I've been absolutely terrified every moment of my life and I've never let it keep me from doing a single thing I wanted to do. And that really sums it up for me. So the motivation for me to leave my job and follow the love and joy that hula hooping brought into my life and the joy that performing brings to me and my audiences has been me just overcoming fear. It's really scary. This is all scary. Every single thing that we do is scary. It's physically scary. It's monetarily scary. We're putting ourselves out there in front of people on a daily basis. Sometimes we feel like it and sometimes we don't feel like it. And the steps that you make now that end up leading you to some unknown destination, it's really scary. I feel like my accident helped me know that this is this is your my only shot, our only chance. And I feel in every way like I'm already on my second chance. And at the end of this life, whether it's in two months or in 50 years or 80 years, I don't know, I'm going to live a really long time. But at the end of my life, I'm going to look back and ask myself if I really did it or not. And 
if I keep going at this pace that we are now, then I think I'll be really proud of myself. And that's a wonderful place to be in. (laughs) So Jeremy, let me ask you with your uh, childhood in Alaska and then the Marines, what are some of the, the things that you hold from that that help you with these, the goals and the tasks and all the new things that you're doing? Hmm. Yeah, I think that I think that there's a lot to learn. And I, I feel like I was taught at a young age to have a growth mindset. And my dad being a commercial fisherman, he was doing something that was really hard. He was he's from Oklahoma. And he decided he would just go out to Alaska and try it out. And I think a lot of that rubbed off on me of just being able to try to make money, however, works for you. And I, I think that through commercial fishing and through the Marines, you know, the Marines actually, you know, when we were, when I was in a lot of the other uh, Marines that I was friends with, we were trying to figure out business ideas to do once we were done. We're like, oh, we could buy a hot dog cart and we could start making money there and then we could grow it and franchise it. Or we just like started trying to come up with all these different ideas of how to make money. And I've met a lot of Marines after the fact that have also done that. So it shows me that it's there's a certain type of person that's going to go into the Marine Corps. And it's a certain type of person that's probably going to chase after this. I think it's really scary at times whenever you don't have a steady paycheck. You don't know when you're going to get the next gig. The next thing's going to line up. You may have to take a part-time job or a full-time job for a little while to make some money. That way you can continue to grow your other business. So that's kind of a nice thing about being seasonal is that it has allowed us to do that. Um, But it's gotten to the point where we have to work on our off time when we're not doing gigs to get ready for the time when we are doing gigs. So I would, I want to say that I'm actually the opposite. So Jeremy grew up with a can do attitude that he could learn to do anything that was put ahead of him. And I'm the opposite. So I'm a perfectionist. I have a very static mindset. I'm not good at this. If I'm not good at something right off the bat, then it must not be my quote unquote thing. And spent all of my adolescence looking for my thing that I was going to be good at, that I was meant to do. And I just wasted a ton of time and robbed myself from all the things that I wanted to do. I just didn't think that I could get better at them. So this is really a motivation for me to share our message with all these kids and with adults is that if there's something that we can't do, you can change that for the most part. If it's being more coordinated, if it's learning to juggle, which is something I seriously never, ever, ever thought that I would be able to do. It just takes work. And part of that has been learning how to learn. How do you learn? How do you break something down from a complicated process to the very, very beginning and practice that first part and then the next part and the next part and then add them together and build them and take a step back and then a step forward. And so learning this learning process and understanding also that in order to get good at anything, you have to first be bad at it. I don't know if there are any adventure fan, adventure time fans listening, but 
Jake the dog says, before you can be awesome at something, you have to really suck at something. And it's so true. You have to get comfortable in this. We call it the suck. It's the suck when you're learning or juggling and you're just dropping it over and over and over again. And instead of giving up and walking away, you just keep doing it. And then to watch yourself progress from there is life-changing, obviously. I mean, once I learned that I could hula hoop, it was like, oh my God, I could learn to do anything. Like there is literally the only thing standing in my way is me. So that's what we want to teach people. And I think it's interesting, Jeremy's path growing up, knowing this and my path growing up, not knowing this. And so we serve all the kids, the kids who think that they're not good at stuff and the kids who won't let anything get in their way. And Kelsey helps keep me grounded so I don't get too far out. It's true. And he helps me not be too grounded. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a, it's the perfect mix. Yeah. So you, you had the trailer. Now I want to hear all about this amazing van. Our van. Okay. So we had the trailer for four years. We loved it. It was really cute. It was a cute little retro looking trailer. And um, I think I just didn't really think about the size of it. It's a small trailer. It's only 18 and a half feet. So when we were buying it, they were like, well, this is so tiny. Are you sure? You know, because most people buy much bigger trailers. It was only a 20 foot trailer and our car is 20 feet. And we didn't really think about when you put that together, then you're driving around a 40 foot rig. So if you had told me in the beginning, would you want to buy a 40 foot rig for you to try to drive around downtown Austin or Kansas City or wherever it is that you're going? Uh, we would have realized that that would be difficult. And there's a lot of work that goes along with a trailer too, like winterizing and dewinterizing and hitching up and unhitching. That if you're just going to stay a weekend somewhere is a totally reasonable amount of work. But for us and the kind of touring that we do, so during our summer, we pack in over a hundred shows a summer, which is two, three, sometimes four a day. And so we go from one place to the next instead of staying in one place for like a whole week. So it is. it became really laborious to hitch up and unhitch and dump and fill up the water. It was really nice. There was always a lot of space, but it's it just was too much work. It was so much work that we ended up just going without the trailer often. And if we're only going somewhere for two days, then it's not worth the work. And we'll just stay in a hotel or an Airbnb, which we've had a really horrible Airbnb experience. So we were having some problems with our trailer last summer and we started thinking about van life. And we weren't really sure if it was going to work for us. And we were researching vans and pretty much the options that we could find for vans were you can get like a Winnebago Travado, which is a fully custom, uh, like a built out van with a shower and bathroom and everything for about $150,000. Or you can build out your own, right? Which is like the coolest, you know, to build out your own van. But knowing us and knowing that we have zero knowledge about electrical and wiring and plumbing, we just, we knew it was more than we could chew. Yeah. We had to figure out what our priorities were and creating a better show and working on costuming. There was a lot of things that we could work on and 
like Kelsey said, we aren't carpenters and we aren't electricians. And so it was going to, it would have been almost impossible for us to spend enough time to work on the van. Like she said, a lot of the styles weren't like that were available to buy, to purchase weren't really conducive to our lifestyle because we, we have to haul around a lot of equipment. We have stilts, stilt costumes. We have, you know, 300 juggling balls, a couple hundred spinning plates, unicycles, and all kinds of hula hoops. Hula hoops take up a lot of room. So we were trying to figure it out. And none, like every, all the other uh, vans that were available were all like, go out for the weekend and you have your shower and every, you know, it's all nice. But there was like room for like enough clothes for a weekend. So that wasn't going to work for us. Yeah, we needed something industrial because really this is a work vehicle for us. And we sort of, we learned that the hard way in our trailer, that the trailer was really meant for some retirees to go have a nice weekend at the lake. And we are working our butts off, traveling from one end of the state to the next. So we gave up on the van dream and I went to Whole Foods and I walked out of Whole Foods and I saw this van out there. And I was like, this looks so cool. What is this? And it said, it's a van do it. So I looked it up and I went to their website, which is actually vanduit.com. And I started looking at all of their components. And it's really cool because it's a modular setup. So it's a la carte. Like you can get a kitchen pod, you could get hot water, you can get solar, you can have a TV if you want it. You can have all these different little, you can move the seats around. Even after you own it, you can move the kitchen pot around. You could take it out. So if we're going on a trip to Red Rocks or something and we don't need to work, we can put seats in it and take a bunch of our friends. We really, we don't have any kids yet, but eventually we're going to start a family. So we wanted the ability to put people in it safely. And also if we need to go on summer tour, that we can fill it with all of our equipment and use it as a changing room at a gig. So we just fell in love with it. So I literally called them that day and said, Hi, I'm Kelsey. This is what we do. Here's our website. I want a Van Do It. So help me figure this out. And Ted called from Van Do It and he set me up with a meeting with Alan, who was our local Van Do It guy. And he showed us the van and we fell in love but we weren't really sure if it was going to work for us. So we're used to having like a full expedition sized vehicle, like a really big vehicle, plus the trailer, which is pretty big too, full of all of our stuff. And we weren't sure if a van would work. So we actually asked them if we could rent one. So at the time they didn't do that, but they let us rent one during our fall season. So we had it for about six weeks And we absolutely fell in love. Like it changed the game. So it has tons of room. We can put all of our equipment in it. I can hang costumes up. It has a little refrigerator that we can put our food in and cold drinks so that when we're on a break from a gig that's, you know, an outdoor event that's six hours long, we can go in there in the peace and quiet and just chill out and eat some food. Um, It was just amazing. We fell in love with it. So we worked with Alan to help us design a van that would fit all of our needs and also affordable for us. It took a couple of months to get 
the plan set and then um, for them to build it out. But they built out our custom van and we picked it up like three days ago. It was so exciting. (laughs) We're so excited. (laughs) It's the most amazing thing. It is beautiful. And I don't, we've already used it. We had to work the very next day. So we loaded it up with our stuff and took it to the gathering place and performed all day. I honestly have never been prouder of anything because by the way, it's kind of hard to get a loan for a van when you're a traveling circus performer. Okay. But if you know enough accounting, you can show them that you're profitable. Yeah. I imagine the person deciding whether to give you the loan or not is not a person that you want to look straight faced at them and say, I'm a professional (laughs) hula hooper. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It took a while and a lot of convincing, but we won her over. And now you've got this amazing, perfect van. Yes. A bird pooped on it yesterday and I almost cried. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We need a shotgun. Fill it with bird shot. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing. So we got, it has a bed in it that lifts up and down. So you can put it all the way at the top. So you have access to the garage, like the back of the van, which has a pull out gear slide so you can put your suitcases and stuff on the back and then pull the gear slide out so you can access them and then when you're gonna sleep in it you just make the bed go down a little bit lower which the bed is actually our hula hoop holder unless we're sleeping in it so we put all the hula hoops up there on the bed and then you take them down and make the bed go down and then you go to sleep and it has the air conditioner, which is amazing because Oklahoma gets really, really hot in the summer and it has solar power and battery so that we can charge all of our LED props without ever having to take them inside the house and lug them up the stairs. And now our performances are solar powered, which is pretty cool. And we can charge our speaker and our microphones and our laptop. I'm pretty much always on call with a business. I have to be able to answer the phone when somebody's ready to book their circus entertainment. It also fits. We can hang up our still pants like full length, which is really nice. And then is built on a Ford Transit uh, wagon. So all of the places for seats are there. So you, we have a two seat uh, bench seat that we can take in and out. And we also have a three three seat bench seat. And so we can take those out. We can change it up. We could bring five extra people with us if we needed to, or we can have two or three friends come with us. And like she said, the kitchen pot, the kitchen is removable. You can also move it. It's not set in one spot. So you can make it like exactly how you want, how, what your space requirements are. And it's all industrial so it has aluminum tea tracking so there's not wood but we are don't have to worry about like banging it up or i mean we're still gonna it's our baby so we're gonna treat it nice but we're not gonna have to be as worried about bringing wet gear in or that kind of stuff it's all really easily washable and it's gonna work really well for what we need it to do way better than the trailer yeah, I feel like the extruded aluminum tea tracking that they use to frame everything. So the whole thing is framed on the inside with this extruded aluminum tea tracking, which may mean nothing to you, but you should look on the website. You can actually clip different 
clips and hooks into the entire frame. So as we go along, if we're like, oh, we want to hang a fruit basket here, or we need to put bungees here to hold this, or we need to some kind of cargo net, then you can just customize the heck out of it. That's really what I like. Because if you're buying something expensive, like a car, it needs to work for you for the next, you know, 25 years, maybe not that long, (laughs) the next 10 years. So the customizability is something that I really love about it. It sounds so how I was saying, you know, you take one step and then you take the other and then you finally figure it out. It's you're now a van life salesman when before you, you didn't know <laughs> I, much about I do it. sound like a salesman, don't I? I have research on this. <laughs> yes. We're over researchers. We research things to death. So when we make a decision, we really make it because it took a long time to arrive there. Yeah, I'm completely sold on this aluminum T-track Yeah, stuff. you guys should check it out. Uh, vandoit.com. Go check out the pictures. Yeah, so now our plan... Well, ever since we went, we went and toured uh, a few libraries in the Kenai Peninsula. And then we also, I guess pretty far away, we went up to Wasilla and Talkeetna and did a couple of libraries in that area. And my parents have a place in Big Lake or Houston, really, but right in that area. So in Alaska, you're talking about in Alaska. So ever since we've went on tour there and we have been trying to figure out like, how can we go back? And we're trying to figure out how to bring the trailer and like, man, it's going to be hard to bring that trailer all the way to Alaska going up those hills and everything. We weren't really quite figuring it out. And then when this van came into view, now we're like, okay, now we can see there's a clear shot, you know, the van also has EcoBoost, which is a really, it's really nice. Uh, it gives a lot of extra power. So I don't think it's going to have any trouble going up mountains and stuff to get to Alaska. Yeah. And our gas mileage with the trailer was eight to 10 miles per gallon. Now we're getting like 14, which may not sound like that much more, but it's quite a bit more, especially like when you're driving out to Burning Man or to Alaska. So I don't mean to hate on trailers. We really loved our trailer. Just for our lifestyle, it didn't work. And we're so thankful that we could get this figured out. Well, yeah, I mean, as long as you don't say the trailer brand, because you're you're pushing the van do for sure. (laughs) (laughs) And now do you guys have a a code that we can use to get 20% off or something like that? Um, Okay, (laughs) I do think that you should talk to Alan Klein because he's who helped us out so much. And he was really patient while we figured out everything that we wanted in it and answered all of our questions. So definitely talk to Alan Klein. So 20% off. I don't know about, but definitely tell them that you heard about it from the Philo from the Philos. Cause I don't know. They'll know that you're one of us (laughs) and that you deserve a great deal. (laughs) Yeah. So what's the next trip you have with the van? We're going to Austin for a flow festival. So Flow Festival is like our kind of business conference. We're taking some friends down to Austin. We live in Oklahoma, so that's about seven hours. So we'll drive down to Austin and then camp. And I'm doing air quotes that you can't see because I'll be in the van. And we'll go take workshops from other professional performers and learn how to do all the things that we don't know how to do yet and keep brushing up on our skills as well as you know, getting to see all of our friends. We have a lot of flow family all over, especially in Austin. Our Burning Man crew was in Austin. So 
a ton of our friends are down there and it's, it's a, it's fun. It's a fun working vacation. So we're teaching three workshops down there. So it's technically a business. It's a business expense for us to drive down to Austin and go camping and hang out with a bunch of our friends that are like-minded and do cool things. (laughs) Yeah. So my advice is figure out what you want to do. If you're into the entrepreneurship thing, figure out what you want to do and figure out how to make it a business expense and tax deductible for you to buy hula hoops and juggling clothes and, you know, stilt costumes. Yeah. And how you can travel as a business expense. Because if we go to Alaska and we do some work up there, then it becomes a business expense and it's a write-off. Extra perk. True. And you do a lot of teaching, a lot of events with kids and all that. And a lot of the influx in seasonals are either that right out of high school or right out of college situation. And there's plenty of people that in their mid twenties or early thirties, or even, even later into their forties and fifties get sick of what they're doing in turn to it. But a lot, it's a lot of young people. What, what sort of message do you have for them about, I mean, we've talked about a few already, but what do you think should be their first step or what's sort of, if you do this or if you want to do this, jump into that, what advice do you have for them? I would say, don't worry about making a mistake. I was very worried about making the wrong choice and lost a lot of sleep. And I firmly believe that there really aren't a lot of wrong choices and there aren't a lot of choices that can't be corrected. Now, those are there. They, they exist. But as far as choosing what to do with the next year of your life, I'm pretty sure that you can't really screw up your life too bad by going to do something really fun, even if it's not like in line with your 20-year plan. So if you want to go to Alaska and do ATV tours or I don't know, just go somewhere beautiful and spend some time around people who know more than you. Don't sweat if you're going to make mistakes. In fact, you are going to make mistakes. You're going to make tons of mistakes and it's all going to be okay. So I would say, listen for that little voice or that dream that you have or that thing that keeps you up at night and follow that. Yeah. And you don't have to do, like we're doing it full time at this point, but like the first summer that I started doing shows, I made $5,000 and it would be no way of be, you wouldn't be able to really live on that, you know, it's like such a small amount and we didn't know where it was going to go. And we kept trying, but you can have a lot of, I feel like you can have different seasonal jobs or you can try to grow the one that you do have or try to find other pockets. So you don't have to have it all figured out. And you may not make very much in the beginning. You may just make bot, you know, just make it through just, you know, and so keep on trying if that's what you want. Um, I also don't know if doing it full time is for everyone either, because it takes a lot of work for us to try to keep this going all year round. It's a little bit easier when we could do it part of the year and then have a job for part of the year. Yeah, there is something to be said for turning your hobbies and your passions into your full-time gig. You know, I'll just be honest with you. It's not It's not always all that it's cracked up to be. This is stressful. So, you know, I, I don't want anyone to feel pressured. Like you have to make this your full-time gig or that's the only way. Uh, there are lots of different ways to do it and finding a way that works the best for you. And I really believe in learning as much as you can 
from people who know more than you. So a lot of this is about who you know and who you meet randomly. And so reading and listening to like the seasonals podcast or I have, we listen to like all different kinds of motivational stuff. Like Brendan Burchard is one of my favorites. There are lots of audiobooks and podcasts. I mean, Tim Ferriss, lots of people who are open-minded thinkers. And I think it's important to help have other people help you open your mind to the possibilities so that when you figure out, oh, I want to do that, that you you have the guts and also the knowledge to go for it. I think the four-hour work week was really inspiring just because it made us think of like, where do we want to be? Where do we want to go? What are we trying to accomplish? Also, I read Guide to Vagabonding. That was like really inspirational to just like go somewhere and just try to make it work. Just try to find a job or just see it. Like my dad went to Alaska and he walked onto a fishing boat and ended up making some money, you know, and then when the season was over, found something else. And then the next summer found another commercial fishing boat and just kind of stumbled into it. So yeah, no one is going to believe in you if you don't like you have to believe in you. And if you have to fake it until you feel it, we did that. We've done that plenty of times taking the gig for the stilt walking thing. When you don't even own a pair of stilts, you know, you should definitely be, be safe and smart and put the work in so that when you get up there on stage, you don't make a fool of yourself. But if you don't believe in yourself, no one is going to. And I feel like such a big part of this is just presenting yourself to the world with confidence. And I mean, what you really have confidence is your intention. What's your intention? Your intention is to go somewhere and have amazing experiences and put some hard work in. The one thing I love about the seasonals so much is that it shows people your that money and your career does not have to be your life dream. You don't have to be doing the career of IT for the next 50 years. Like money and your job is just energy. It's just a way for you to live and do what you want to do. And whether you're doing that through hula hooping or running your own business or bartending in Ketchikan, it, it's really all the same. You're making choices about, I, I don't mean to sound negative, but choosing your own suffering. Uh, so every job, even this one that I have, that's an amazing dream come true. There is suffering involved. I am on call all the time. My phone rings. I have to answer it. I do to so much work that people don't even know because they just see me in costume during the two-hour gig that I have every week. So every job has a different kind of suffering and your life has all different kinds of suffering. And so choosing what it is. I really want to be able to go to the gym at 10 a.m. and the grocery store at noon and not have to live by the nine to five lifestyle. So I choose to own my own business so that I can do whatever I want all day. But that also comes with its own caveat that I'm in charge and sometimes I'm like the worst boss ever. So there really aren't any rules, especially with the economy and the world working like it is. We don't have to do that 40-year career at the steel mill kind of thing. Like You can have 10 different careers in your lifetime as an adult. So working where you want to be in the world and hopefully you get to do something that you're passionate about. If not, then do your work and go play. I do feel like the fact that we, our passion is 
what we do for work is confusing to us. Sometimes we struggle a little bit with keeping the dream alive with our the love of hula hooping because it is my job. Um, so I do think there is something really great about having a job that pays you money. And then when you get off work, you get to go surfing every day. Yeah. You just choose, choose your suffering is, is a great way of putting it. It's like a negative way to say that, to say that, but it's really a realistic way to say it. It's the same idea that I don't, maybe this is also negative, but we're all going to die and you can either acknowledge it and live your life to the fullest or be afraid about it or you know, just ignore that that is even a thing that's going to happen and waste away your life. That's a good idea to phrase it that way, because when you when you accept now that we're going to die, your decisions now have way more importance. So you're not just going to keep doing something that you hate that is only incrementally improving your life. Whereas if, you know, if you don't accept that I'm going to die someday, you're willing to waste five years or spend 10 years doing something thinking, oh, well, somebody told me this was a good idea because it's like, oh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to live forever. I don't have to think about when I'm going to die. I'm just going to do, I'm going to float along. Whereas if you accept it and you think about it and you think as it in a, even if it sounds negative and that I'm going to choose how I suffer way at every little decision you're putting thought into and every little step you're putting all of yourself into instead of just mailing it in, checking out and letting life happen to you. Yeah, definitely. I think at one point I realized that I was more afraid of not trying this than if I try it and fail. And at least if you try it and you fail, you know that you tried. But if you play it safe because your parents told you that you need to have so much money in your 401k by the time you're 30, then when you're 30, I don't know, you just shouldn't be afraid to go out there and try it, whatever it is that you're wanting to do. And I think it's really important to do that soul searching and get connected with yourself and your dreams, your true dreams. Like what do you really want to spend your time and your energy doing? And then follow that. So how can people find you too? Well, if you want to see our performance pictures and you know, the fire and the stilts and the costumes and everything, you can find us at at Inspiral Entertainment. And we're going to link it below because it is spelled kind of weird. It's I-N-S-P-Y-R-A-L, entertainment. And if you want to see the behind the scenes of van life um, and the stuff that we don't necessarily want our clients to see, then you can follow us at the Philocast, which Joey will also link below. So what, what exactly does Inspiral mean? Inspiral is a combination of inspire and spiral, which has a lot of different meanings. If you're into spinning any kind of flow art, a spiral is the shape of the hula hoop going around or um, the shape of a lot of different props that we use. Um, and also just has been really prevalent in our lives together. Kind of this idea that like time is a spiral and we just circle back around and you're a little different each time. And so that's been a fun thing for us to do is watch ourselves grow over the years. But and in spiral, we actually spell with a Y in the middle because the I was taken. So because <laughs> we're actually spies. Right. Yeah. They say it's easier to get trademarked if you you spell it wrong or something like that too. So. Yeah. 
we shouldn't, we should definitely trademark it. But I will a little bit of information for anyone who's starting their business out there. I would not use a very long, long website. Our website is in spiral entertainment, which is just really long. And the fact that it's spelled weird and it's a made up word, it's actually not. And in spiral is a real astronomical term that means to a pair of binary stars that are spinning around each other so quickly that they're pulling each into each other's gravitational field and then they collide in this brilliant display that shoots through the universe. And the other part of our name is that we try to inspire children and inspire really people of all ages through like a growth mindset and having grit and trying things that are out of your comfort zone and not thinking that whatever situation you're in is what you're going to be stuck in for the rest of your life. Is there any question that I didn't ask that you think I should have? Maybe what does it take to get ready for a show or a gig? Yeah, I would like to hear that. We have to plan at least the day before because we most of our shows are glow props uh, we do a lot of LED juggling and even my unicycle lights up uh, with LEDs. And so we have to make sure that everything is charged and we have to do that the night before. Kelsey, do you want to explain more? I feel like you have a good explanation on this. Sure. So we make sure that everything is charged, whether that's our speaker and microphones and LED props and make sure our costumes are ready. And then about three hours before we're supposed to leave our house, we start getting ready and that's stretching, getting in the right mindset, uh, taking a shower, shaving Jeremy's beard, which is a spiral. You'll have to go look at that. His has actual spiral on his face. On two of them, actually, one on each side, and uh, make up all of this costume stuff. And then we leave plenty early to get to our gig about 30 minutes to an hour ahead of time so that we can unload and make sure we know what we're supposed to be doing. And then we do our performance, which is however long. And then we load everything back up into our car, head home and unpack it and get things ready for the next day. So it's quite a lot. There's about six hours involved in prep and teardown from every gig. So it helps once you do it enough because then you know how much time it really takes. In the beginning, I felt like, oh my gosh, they're just paying me to hula hoop. This is crazy. But really, they're paying me to show up, look super great, be really talented and perform, maybe not flawlessly, but at least with a lot of enthusiasm for everyone. And that takes time. Yeah, there's probably 20 different things that we charge. And we also have to call the day before. We have to make sure everything is ironed and looking on point. So, and then just like making sure every gig is a little bit different. And so from the costuming, just like making sure that all the little details, the bow tie, the hat, whatever, you know, whatever special props you need for each gig, you have to be thinking about all these different things. And Every gig is so different, it's hard to even have like a checklist. So even the mental capacity is quite a bit just to make sure you get there with everything you need. I don't, did you mention that we also driving to the gig? Sometimes we spend eight hours in a day just driving. How did you decide how to, or how much to charge for each event? Through practice, really. 
I mean, I remember feeling like charging $100 an hour was such a steal that I was getting away with murder. And then once you get better and you have spent more time practicing and more money on your costumes and everything that goes into it, then you start, it's been a struggle. It's really hard. You just do enough gigs where you're underpaid and you're the only reason why you're underpaid. And then you start charging more and we would slowly work up and up. And another thing that I think is really important is deciding what you want to be worth. So we made a decision really early on in our career that we want to be really high quality entertainment. And if you look at our pictures on our Instagram, you can see that like our costumes look incredible. Our props are top of the line. Everything that we do is as high quality as we can possibly make it because we want to be worth $500 an hour. You know, we want to be the performer. We want to be elite. We want to be the top. We want to be the corporate performers that are just super high quality. Now, I mean, you could be the guy in town who's worth $50 an hour and that's okay too, but you should have that in mind when you're setting out, what do you want to make? You know, and if you want to make $50 an hour, then you know, and I'm talking end game. So not necessarily in the beginning. In the beginning, it's good to just get out there and get some experience. You shouldn't charge $500 an hour if you just started doing this. You should be worth $500 an hour or your product should be worth $500 an hour. So it's a growing process. And again, I mean, there aren't the mistakes that we made is just charging too little or we charge too much and a client walked away. We're going to make mistakes and they're all learning experiences. You know, I do think it's been really valuable for us to decide that we want to be high end, super quality and worth, you know, I mean, eventually we want to have a performance that's worth a thousand dollars and we're going to get there. We just are working on having everything that we need for the show in order to have a thousand dollar show. Yeah. I mean, we can make a thousand dollars in a day, but going in a show, what you're talking about is going in and doing like a 10 or 15 minute performance for a thousand dollars. So it can be difficult to figure out how to charge. You have to, besides just being like a juggler or a hula hooper, you have to figure out how to pitch it. You know, what is that 10 second pitch? What is your minute pitch? How do you believe in yourself enough to ask for it? It can be easier to sell a car than yourself. I think it really helped to say, how long are we actually spending getting ready for this performance? Well, we had to create the costumes and we had to book everything, which took hours. And then we have had to buy all of the props and we spent spent thousands of dollars in all of our props. And so you start to add up all of these different costs, then your car maintenance. And you're like, you know, actually maybe I'm not charging enough and I'm spending a lot more time because you're just like, oh, I just went to there for an hour, but you spent two or three hours before that just getting your costume and everything loaded. Yeah. And I think it's important to know your client as well. So obviously for corporate clients, we charge a different rate than we do for a school. You know, we want to work. So we do, we don't charge as much for schools and libraries because we want to be accessible for them. So it's a learning process, but even the mistakes that you make, you're going to learn from. And I have to remind myself of that still, you know, I'll beat myself up because we quoted someone too high and we lost a gig or 
you know, we'll do a gig and be done with it and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we only charged them this much. And it's just put it in your bank of knowledge and try not to make the same mistake again. But it's not all life and death. It's just figuring it out. There is not a rule book or a playbook online for being your own circus performer. And I can imagine the seasonals lifestyle, you know, it's really just kind of figure it out and have faith in yourself. Oh, I do want to say that in the coming months, we are working on creating online tutorials or online classes through the PhiloCast on how to teach kids how to be a a professional performer and a professional circus artist and what all goes along with that. Yes, true. So we want to empower other artists that want to make money doing this, Um, whether they're flow artists or they love teaching kids and they just want a good way to get their attention and a good way to teach them these lessons. We have a lot of knowledge on flow arts business and costuming and makeup and booking gigs and really the business side of it that is a little harder, especially if you're a more artistic type. So we're going to be having some online courses on our website where you can actually take them and learn how to run your own business. Great. You guys sound amazing. I'm excited to look at the pictures and see the online stuff as well when it comes out. I want to thank you, Kelsey and Jeremy, for coming on the show. Uh, you guys, all of this sounds awesome. And it's it's my first time getting to ask all the questions I want to about van life and all that stuff. And it's, it sounds really cool. Thank you so much, Joey. You guys inspire us. And so we're so glad that you're doing what you're doing and sharing with everyone what's possible to do with your life. Yeah, I totally agree. Thank you. Yeah. That's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Ravinsky. The theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Chappie, Thomas Hamilton. Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out. Yeah.